Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Thanks so much for joining us. And if this is your first time, I invite you to hit subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you might be listening to the show. All right, everyone, I am here with Jack Berkowitz. Jack is the Chief Data Officer with ADP. Jack, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to digging into our conversation. We'll be talking about some of the ways that ADP is using machine learning. But to get us started, I'd love to have you share a little bit about your background and a little bit about your career. Sure. I've got a long career. Been at this for 30 31 years now. Kind of three phases. First phase was largely doing work with DARPA. So early 90s, mid 90s, doing a lot of work and at that time was cutting edge. Things like ontologies, distributed reasoning technology. Okay. All sorts of stuff that people at DARPA would would normally equate. Then I spent about 12 years doing various startups. Some in the semantic web, some in search, some in analytics. And then for the past 10 years, split between Oracle and now ADP, really running large-scale enterprise-level analytics products. So we build products for other people. And then my job at ADP is a combination of building products for other for clients and then also doing some things internally that ADP uses. Awesome. Awesome. And when you started at ADP, you started out in a product-centric role and transitioned over to CDO. I'd love to have you share a little bit about that transition, how it came about, and you know how you... It sounds like you still retain some product ownership there. Yeah, I sure do. So the CDO role really has two faces to it. On the one hand, we build product for clients. We have tens of thousands of clients that use our analytics for HR, people analytics, compensation analytics, recruiting, things like that. And then we also have a defensive nature to the CDO organization. So besides having all the data advantage, what do we do to protect the information? And one of the big messages that I spend a lot of time on is talking about data governance. You know, so it's pretty funny, right? Because as product development people, as machine learning people, we hear the word data governance and we immediately think, okay, people are trying to get in our way, right? Mm-hmm. And we're trying to hold us back. And actually what it means to us is it enables us to get the data into a nice, clean way so that we can share. And so that if somebody builds a NML algorithm to do something, I don't know what, for job matching, the entire community of developers can then use that algorithm for job matching. So that's all part of that governance that, that we're putting in place today. So I'd love to come back to that data governance topic. Before we do, I've jumped right in and maybe taken it for granted that folks know who ADP is and maybe the case that most do, but why don't you give us a quick summary of ADP and the company's focus? Yeah, so ADP is the world's largest provider of HR, payroll, benefit solutions. So we have over 920,000 clients in 140 countries. And, you know, most people know ADP because their W-2 or their paycheck has been issued by ADP. Maybe not today, but maybe at some point in their career. And if it hasn't, it will be. One of the things that we talk a lot about at ADP is it's not your grandfather's ADP, but it's actually my grandfather's ADP. (laughs) So they've been around for about 70 years. He had a small gas station. He paid his, his employees and the family through ADP. But series of firsts at the company, really the first company to ever use computers for payroll. First company to build a 
what we now call software as a service, it used to be called something else in the late 90s for doing HR. First company to do mobile apps for the employees of companies. And so every day or every week, you can check your payroll, you can clock in and out, you can check your 401k balance through your mobile app. So lots of people, about 58,000 people today building products and then providing great expertise. Because the one thing about HR is, is that it's not just about the software. There's regulations that have to be maintained. There's problems for employees or clients that need to be solved. You know, what if adopting cross-border, what's the impact on my pay or, or any sort of things like that. And so CEO likes to say, hey, it's about gr- building great products with great expertise. And that's really what we try to bring to bear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think one of the consequences of that long history is the companies associated with some of those early technologies that maybe weren't so early when it first got started. You know, to be very clear, when I think of kind of poster childs for the mainframe, ADP is one of those companies who comes to mind. And yet we're connected because you were delivering a keynote at AWS reInvent, talking about some of the things the company was doing with machine learning as part of the data cloud product. Talk a little bit about that, what it means to be building cutting edge data centric product in a company with that kind of history and legacy. Yeah. So we still have a little bit of those mainframes running around. (laughs) And guess what? So does every bank (laughs) and and every DMV and everything else. And it's funny, right? As somebody who's always on the cutting edge, you know, you heard like DARPA and cloud and everything. What do you mean? Well, the data has got to come from somewhere, right? And if you want reliability, To us, it doesn't actually matter where the data comes from. What we're able to do is harness the semantics of it, the meanings of it, bring it together and make it available in a platform and in something that other people can use, blows, and our own teams can use. And that's the essential part of it. And so when we were looking, how do we do that in a modern way and how do we keep up with the pace of business? And pace of business is just unbelievable, particularly now since COVID hit. For us, moving it into the cloud made total sense. And so we're syncing information every single minute back and forth between those classic on-prem data centers, but they're data centers just the same way as any other data center. It's not like it's running under my desk. And we're syncing information and we're extracting value out of it by taking advantage of all the services that we can get in the AWS cloud. Mm -hmm. Your comment about platforms ties back to the the comment about governance and what brings them together is this idea of making it easier for your teams to be productive with that data, to pull meaning out of it, make predictions with it, that kind of thing. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the challenges with harnessing the, the data that the organization has at its scale? Yeah, let me give you a great example. I'll give you two different examples. Let me start with one, though, that that really summarizes not just harnessing the meaning, but also the amount of machine learning we're building, right? Mm -hmm. So in any given month, we pay about 30 million people in the US. And for those 30 million people, we've got about 21 million job titles, okay? So, you know, for about 9 million, we don't know what they do for a living, but for 21 million, we do. We need to crunch that data down into some common job titles. In fact, we crunch it down to about 9,000 job titles. Now, we don't do that manually. We don't do that with rules. And so we, we run all that in a data-driven machine learning pipeline using some pretty advanced technology 
to get that done. All the latest buzzwords you can imagine, plus a few, are involved in that pipeline. And you say, well, why do that? Well, if I want to know what a software engineer makes, you would think that would be easy. But company A calls it software engineer three. Company B calls it development specialist. Company C calls it creative machine learning guru juggler. <laughs> I think I've seen the card. <laughs> yeah, you can only imagine everybody gets to invent their own title. And we've got to have a way to bring that together. And we do that for our compensation benchmarks. We do that and we use that same exact thing in sort of our recruiting and sourcing systems. We do the same thing in our performance review systems. And that's a great example of the challenge. And then we have the same exact challenge when we try to provide the capabilities for companies to operate in multiple countries. So things that may be obvious in the US like holiday or vacation are called different things in different countries. And in fact, the math and the calculation of all is different depending on the country you're in. And so we have the ability by bringing all that information together, having models on top to combine that information so that our clients benefit through all this process. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about data governance, are you thinking about it akin to kind of a traditional enterprise architecture, big committees deciding who can do what and where data sits and that kind of thing? You know, I'd like to say that there, there are no committees and we're a reflection of the distributed internet. It, it's not quite there, but we do have a central group, but we really try to operate in more of a hub and spoke or a federated way. In that sense, a lot of people are talking about data mesh these days. We think about it as a semantic mesh or a, or a metrics mesh. So we want the teams that are responsible to be able to operate on and have the domain knowledge. There's a central group, right? that makes sure that things can attach, because otherwise it's just pandemonium. So there's a central group that, that ensures that, that either it's a concept, right, a domain object or, or a new metric, that it can attach to some parent object. But in that case, you know, the central team's very thin, and the amount of work they do is very thin. It's really distributed. We have but hundreds and hundreds of people in development, and we want them to have the independence to be able to create in a way that they can do best. Now, related to that is also then the data lineage. So it does us no good for somebody to say, hey, I've got the data source of data sources for you know, some problem benefits. If they don't provide how that data has been brought together and then managed and then brought up. So we also have artifacts that if you're going to participate in that world of this federation or this, this combination of, of information, well, then you also have the responsibility to say, hey, this is where my data came from. I'm going to take care of the data quality of it, and I'm going to advertise to all my other people that collaborate in that sense. So I said, hey, I, when you were asking me about my career, I started and I did a lot of work in the semantic web. We actually bring a lot of those concepts to bear. Now, whether or not it's the formal semantics and the language, I don't know, but that idea of distributed data, self-describing data, and then attachment of data is something that we try to bring to bear across our company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the ultimate objective is to what allow teams to move more quickly or what, what are... I think it's three key things to us. The first one is about pace. Our client, the world's busy, <laughs> clients are demanding, and the world's situations are changing all the time. Second thing is, is about reliability. Because we're messing with people's paychecks. At the end of the day, that's what we do. 
And that's the most personal data there is other than maybe healthcare data. If you want to see a, somebody get excited, make a mistake on their paycheck. And so we have to have a little bit of reliability in terms of what we're doing. So the first thing is about pace. Second thing is about reliability. And the third thing is really about clarity and explainability, whether it's to each other inside the development teams or whether it's to our end clients, right? This is why. So there's like an explainability and ethics overlay to all of this as to why we're so into this, the data governance approach. Mm -hmm. You gave us a couple of specific examples of machine learning use cases there. Be curious, have you talked broadly about the various ways that ML is used? And my guess is that it's used primarily in kind of new products that are built on top of the data assets that the company has, as opposed to kind of that core payroll processing, or, or are there use cases there as well? Mm, you'd be surprised. And so we have machine learning throughout the entire corporation at this point, and it's come on really fast. Mm -hmm. It's come on fast because we've separated the data, but we've also exposed all the machine learning processes through microservices or through APIs. And then that allows brand new products. They're intelligent from the ground up. They're everything everybody could imagine. You know, there's a chat bot and, or the screen changes. But we also use it to do things on the older products as almost overlays into them. So the ability to check a payroll before it's submitted and then all the money goes, the ability to check it for anomalies, that's all based on new machine learning capabilities because now we have the data in, in one place. We can do that and we can provide new capabilities to existing what were thought of as legacy applications. And so you can make something fresh for our clients at the same time as building net new products uh, all at the same time. And so we're getting great reception on sort of that innovation aspect with our clients because we've taken some pretty hard steps in terms of building a data platform and building out the machine learning. But it really is to benefit to them. Mm -hmm. Let's dig into that platform that you've built a little bit. Is that the data cloud? Yeah, so the data cloud is really this collection of capabilities. Some people identify it as the products we build and some identify it as this platform of data. It's built on top of a set of those capabilities, whether it's Amazon EMR or Amazon SageMaker, S3's at the bottom of it. We have some partners in, in as well, some of the key partners in uh, data space, because there's certain things dealing with, for example, data security that, that still is an emerging area of technology. Mm -hmm. And so we'll bring in partners as need be. We don't want to constrain people as well. So if they've built models using, for example, libraries like BERT or GPT-3, they have access to be able to do and use those models as well. So we want to govern those use of third-party systems because we don't want any hacker to infiltrate our, our supply chain of ML, if you will. Mm -hmm. But all of it's there and all of it's available. We have a sort of a standard way either data scientists or data engineers can enter and interact with the platform. Security is all managed. And so they have access to certain data assets. There may be other data assets that they need to request and get permission to use, things that get very personal about people, for example. And then everything included in there is everything's obfuscated and encrypted. And so there are data elements that you don't have a need to know. As a data scientist, well, you don't have a need to know, but we'll obfuscate it, but the, the engine can still perform actions against it. 
So that's a big aspect of the platform is to make sure that to reduce the, the amount of data duplication, but also main control, maintain control of some very personal data uh, that people have. Did the platform start out as kind of abstracting things that you built for a specific product into a generalized capability, or did it start as a, a larger effort that pulled in you know, various internal and external things? What's the, the history there? Now, in my experience, boiling the ocean up front to build a platform just leaves you with a bunch of steam and some salt <laughs> in the bottom of a container. And then you're just like, well, where did it go? It's like you got this, well, you, gotta, you don't have any wrinkles in your shirt, right? <laughs> and so we build very specific application elements, and we really, really focus on those. And then as if you have two, three, four of those together, then you can start to line up the commonalities. And then you can drop things out. So I like to say, well, we moved to the cloud in 2019, but we actually started a few years earlier on building machine learning. And that actually taught us enough to be able to know, hey, we needed to move this to the cloud. And what did we need to do to move to the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. And we continue to do that. Build an application for employment verification, right? So if people are getting mortgages, they need to make sure their employment is verified and that their income is verified by the mortgage companies. Once you build that, hey, wow, there's a new type of machine learning we can do to, to take care of name disambiguation across multiple people named Jack Berkowitz. I have the strangest name in the world, and it turns out there's like six of us on LinkedIn right now. So <laughs> that way you can, you can deal with these types of things. Mm -hmm. So when you say application elements in the context of platform, are those applications or are they kind of platform capabilities or are those synonymous? They're kind of both, kind of both. A reasoner is a reason, you know, a reasoner that decides about matching of a candidate to a job or a job to a candidate. So you tell me your skills and I'll tell you the jobs that are available. Is that an application or is that an ML component? It's kind of both, right? Mm. It's actually a number of ML components all put together, but then I can abstract it as a single API so that downstream applications like our recruiting application or our internal sourcing application can hit that API. So it's both level. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other components like that? So for example, we do an awful lot with projections. So we have a lot of different recommenders and optimizers mm -hmm. that'll do deal with recommendations. So we have a capability for operational managers, non-HR people, to get pushed to them insights about their team status, right? How many people are leaving? How many people need raises? What's the birthday of everybody? You know, I have a large team inside the company. I'm an operational manager like anybody else, but I still need that HR data. Mm -hmm. That comes to me actually on that mobile app where I can check my payroll hmm. or my 401k. On the same exact app, I get these HR insights, right? So this recommendation is there. Other areas that we, we build machine learning for are not just for clients, but for the internal company. How can we answer a client's concerns about a regulation in a much more efficient way? And we can do that, have that answer, put it out on a chatbot, put it in, the, in front of our customer service representatives, all sorts of different ways. And so these are some knowledge management, some recommendations, some projections about, are you ready for the shopping season? That's our, our favorite one for retailers. So we can actually look at Oh, what's the rate at which you're hiring people? What's the rate at which people are leaving? How many jobs do you have open? What's the demand? So we can build this small little workforce planning capability quickly by assembling our existing components and then have an advantage 
uh, for our clients that use us. Mm -hmm. As a company that is fully invested in cloud, using cloud services at all different levels, including the platform services like SageMaker, you mentioned these higher level services. I'm curious what level services to consume from your cloud partner and or, or conversely, what level you know do you target to build at versus use external services? I wish I could say that there was just like some cookbook out there, but there's not. <laughs> Best thing for us is, is that we're closely, closely integrated with AWS in terms of engineer to engineer. And so people like me get the heck out of the way and let the engineers talk, which is the best way to have a, a partnership with a, with a tech group. We'll look at capabilities and we'll brainstorm them together and then we'll iterate. So sometimes we've built things that it turns out that, that AWS may have. Sometimes they'll say, hey, we're not building it. And then, or a third party may say, yeah, it doesn't exist. So we'll have to build. Sometimes we have unique capabilities that we need. I try not, we try to be more as a content team and an application team rather than a core technology developer, you know, like low level code. But just recently, we've built some very low level code to build a reporting application because the constraints, no matter what databases are out there today, aren't quite what we need for our clients with uh, hundreds of thousands of clients we have in terms of cost. And so we had to get down and start to build something. Now, are we the first ones to say we should open source this or yeah, exactly. So whether we open source it or we find something in the community that can replace it. So part of that's some engineering discipline about making sure that you're extracting your blocks properly. So because the one thing you know about technology, somebody's going to come along with a better mousetrap. And so, you know, you need to be ready to re-architect and refactor. We think about it architecturally. We budget time for that as we go as well. But it's, it's, it's the reality of the cloud. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the kind of scope of your customers just now. You also mentioned some scale figures during your keynote in terms of the amount of data that you were dealing, the number of transactions. Talk a little bit about that and the, the broad impact of scale on the way you deal with data. I mentioned, right, 920,000 clients, 140 countries. We do like... 50 million people apply to jobs by our clients every year. We do 38 million people in payroll every year. We do 11 million 1099s. That's an incredible amount of people doing contracting. So all that information comes together. The number that I put up on stage, and it was, it was kind of fun, we move $2.3 trillion a year. And the number that it was hard for me, and, and so we did this kind of thing where we said, what does $2.3 trillion mean? And so if it was a GDP it would be somewhere between France and Italy in terms of GDP. Now, our payments are not GDP, but it still gives you a sense of the scale. Now, France and Italy have better food than maybe we do, but <laughs> it gives you an idea of the scale. And then the elasticity to process that becomes insane. I think we do something, I can't remember the number that we put on stage, but it's like 300 trillion decisions by our machine learning every month. You know, And so you've got, well, does that mean 300... 12 trillion queries? No, but it means the individual decision processes that the algorithms are taking as they process. To somebody who's been around for a while in the business, that's just mind-boggling. I remember when people were coining the word petabyte, and now we toss around exabytes and we zettabytes as if they're nothing. I remember buying my first hard drive and it had 10 megabytes of storage. And I remember a guy telling me, you'll never be able to fill that up. 
and we fill it up with single PowerPoint files today. So the scale is kind of amazing. $2.3 trillion and everything that, that that entails in terms of payments is the number that just sticks in our head every day. Are there specific ways that you have adapted the way that you operate or organize to kind of manage that scale? Well, I mean, I think I talked about it a little bit. We have a, a real distributed nature to the development teams, and that's an important aspect to what we're doing. The other thing is, is, and I talked a little bit about this on stage, we really wanted to get to a data-centric culture. So rather than having pillars of, well, these are the data analysts, and these are the data scientists, and these are the domain experts, and these are, we got rid of all of that. They're all together in one team. So a team, it's modeled after this idea of a two-pizza team, but we're not quite selling the products, but it is this notion that we bring everybody together to go solve a specific problem. So because we have all these people inside of our company that know HR or no benefits or no payroll, we can bring people right into the development team to be part of the development team to go solve a problem. And so that's helped us create very, very tight development circle uh, timeframes. And then it's just iterating out of it. And those are our two keys. First of all, lots of federations. Second of all, some very small teams that are able to iterate on a very specific problem very quickly. Mm-hmm. Those teams are, are cross-domain. We literally, we want them virtually at least sitting alongside each other. Hey, what does this mean? Yeah, this does this, right? As opposed to going through paperwork exercises and presentations and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The data-focused folks on those teams, the data scientists, data engineers, they are they all embedded within product organizations or do product folks kind of join into engineering efforts or... Yeah, that's a great question. So we look at it. So a lot of things in in our company, a lot of the teams will look at it as triad, engineering, product, and design. I actually look at it as quads. Okay. Engineering, product, design, and data science. Mm -hmm. And each one of my teams has all four representatives. And at one point, there may not be a data science problem to be solved, but there's still somebody tracking that project from a data science perspective, just the same way as the UX on a certain project may just be the API, not some elaborate UI, or it may be documentation could be the UX. So we have all four domains represented in this quad quad idea. Mm-hmm. How long has the company had data scientists? Probably since they started dealing with it back in 1949, <laughs> right? To be honest, right? It's a company of accountants, right? So it's fun, right? Oh, well, it's data science using machine learning. Well, what's linear regression? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, it's fun. I, I interview people just getting out of school. Oh, I've learned this thing about linear regression. You know, it's been around for since the 1800s, right? So, so I think it's a hard question to answer. I think if you want to look specifically at machine learning as a practice, just like everybody else over the past six, eight, 10 years has really been the ongoing of that. It's the end of 2021. Anybody who tells you they've got more than 10 years of machine learning experience, unless they were doing neural networks in the 90s is lying to you. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that six to eight year uh, time range is when we started to really add machine learning. And then by 2016, 2017, we had people really cranking uh, on it. So the company was very, I think, nimble into the new technology, more than I've seen on, uh, on other firms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the, kind of this model that you have, where you have the teams kind of embedded together, for lack of a better term as opposed to having a standalone 
data science organization or machine learning organization or something like that. How do you kind of take full advantage of the... What is We look at them as, as sort of cohorts or, or however you want to call it, grouping. So we have somebody in charge of data science for sure. Sure. But then people are matrixed out just the same way as we have it with UX, the same way as because they need career paths. I think that's the important thing. And there's a value for them to get together and argue out different problems and everything. I try to visit with each team every week. It drives me nuts because, you know, they all want to meet at exactly the same time. We create this community of practice and people often will say, well, it's a guild. And I'm not sure it's a guild as much because there is an org of product managers. There's an org of data scientists. But the projects themselves that are being executed are executed in this in this group. And then we have somebody leading that. And that person could be a data scientist, could be an engineering leader, could be a UX leader, or could be a product manager leading that specific project. We just want to get the best person in charge to execute that project, if you will. We don't care where they come from. I was asking about that, but also, you know, where innovation comes from within the organization. Is it kind of tucked into longstanding product roadmaps or how do you leverage opportunities that are created by ML? And I hate the top down, bottom up thing, but that's in a way it's happened. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we definitely have where we want to be from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. But our job, particularly as senior management, is just to give the where or the trajectory. And let the engineers and the data scientists say, hey, I have a way to solve that problem maybe a way you hadn't thought about. And so we do spend a lot of time on ideation during our development cycles. And we are also always open to rework as we need to. Now, you don't want to rework forever, but we always give the opportunity for people to do it. So we're really, we spend a lot of time talking why we want to build something and what we want to build. We let those teams go and decide what and how they want to build it. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe to wrap us up, I'm curious, you're being in an organization that's very much focused on kind of HR and talent. I'm most curious about how the company is dealing with getting the talent that it needs to innovate on the data side. Very competitive marketplace, often kind of large legacy companies, quote unquote, are considered to be less attractive places. Like, how do you deal with all that? So the same fears that I think about every day. I wake up thinking about that. I go to sleep thinking about that. I nightmare thinking about that. But actually, I think we're really we're really benefiting right now. And we're benefiting for, for two reasons. One, we took some steps to get to the cloud. And at least for what I do, for what you do, people are attracted to the data. They're attracted to the idea that they can actually work on something with meaningful data. And they're attracted then to the culture around data to build these things, the quads and everything else. And I'm not saying that we don't have any problems getting talent, but what I would say is is that we're really successful in bringing in great people to the company because once they get exposed to it, whether through the interview or through this type of discussion we're having now, and they, they dig into it, they get excited. And I think that's the best part is you see these sparkles, even over all the zooming and everything else, you see a sparkle in people's eyes when they discover something. And that's a spreading activation. And so whether you're an older company like ours that's going through this transition or whether you're a startup, I've worked at startups where there's not actually a lot exciting going on. And so you really just have to ask people the question is, what do you want to spend your days doing? Do you actually want to spend your days putting out 
on Twitter that you got a free water bottle this week? Or do you actually want to go solve a hard problem? <laughs> right? I'm an engineer. My favorite movie in the world is Apollo 13. Not because of the astronauts, but because when the guy comes in, he dumps the stuff on the table and says, folks, we got to put this into this to get these people home. And the engineers rise to the occasion. And that's the way we feel about talent. You know, we'll give you something hard to do. Let's go do it. And that helps with our recruiting and helps with keeping people energized. And so we're, do- we're actually doing great on that. If anybody wants to come join us and give it a go, we're more than happy to have that discussion. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jack, thanks so much for joining us and sharing a bit about what you're up to there. Great. Thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.